Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. We are Some Nobodies, and this is Some Nobodies Review Lovecraft Country. You can hear pages turning because we're preparing. Oh yeah. My name is Dylan, and also here is Zach and Suzanne. How's everybody I, doing today? I came back. Yay, yeah. Suzanne's here. How's everybody doing? I'm great. Also fantastic. Yeah. 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 Doing alright. Lovecraft. Yeah, so we are here to record and talk about Lovecraft Country, Episode 5. Yeah. Uh, first off, if you listened to our episode last week, I definitely want to apologize for me saying Yakima. In my notes, I wrote down a K, and I didn't watch it enough to to know how they said it, but it's obviously Yahima, and yeah. I was way wrong. But anyway, episode five, Strange Case, directed by Cheryl Dunye. Dunye? Dunye West. Dunye, oh God. Same joke I made last time. I know. I'm not saying D-U-N-Y-E. After making a devil's bargain with William, Ruby steps into the charmed shoes of a white woman, but her transformation only fortifies her resentment of the racial divide. A betrayal by Montrose unleashes Atticus's pent-up rage, leaving Letty deeply disturbed and sending Montrose into the comforting arms of a secret lover. Alright, first thoughts. Spoiler free, what was your first thoughts, Dylan? I liked the episode. Yeah. It had some very striking visual elements. Yeah. And it had some very interesting comments to make by utilizing sci-fi elements in a certain way. I agree. Suzanne, first thoughts? Um, spoiler free, uh, I really, really thoroughly enjoy um, that this show is, is using itself as a platform to tackle and dismantle a lot of American societal viewpoints yeah um in a way that isn't necessarily on the nose calling out what it's doing as it does it it does such a beautiful job of introducing even from the last episode uh, of introducing ideas as like the the two-spirit this this multifaceted bi-gendered non-binary agendered individual this person um and, and the threads that kind of carry over from that into this episode like this is an ep this is a show about racism in America, but mm -hmm. it's it's revealing how deeply racism affects every facet of American life, whether it's LGBTQ, um, educational or work availability and hiring practices. I think that it's phenomenal. Yeah, I completely agree with everything. Like this show is is always impressing me more and more. This episode was a little bit more, although cool and complex. It is. It was still a fairly straightforward episode. Yes. You don't really get a lot of, you know, offshoots. Yeah, you get like an A storyline. Yeah. You follow the storyline and that's the stuff that seems to be obvious and then it's layered. Yeah. This is very much Ruby's episode. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, 100%. Tick, Tick and Letty have reconciliation between themselves and a little bit of they get their feet under them yeah. somewhat throughout. But this is very much Ruby's introduction to the main plot. Like, yes. This is, this is the story pulling her in on equal footing with the other characters. Yeah, it is It is definitely establishing for uh, Letty and Tick. There's not a lot of movement in their character arcs. Montrose, he would be the B-plot. He gets, obviously, a, a fair amount of screen time, and his stuff is gorgeous. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is, this is Ruby-heavy. This is a lot of her emotion. This is a lot of her driving and a lot of her thought processes. Episode 5. It opens on a beautiful bed. A cocoon, if you will. Cool. I didn't see that at first. 100%. Yeah. It's like dark on the outside and then she 
reveals all of like the yellow life that's underneath. It of, very she very slowly comes out from under the cover. Yeah, and you've got yeah. the burgundy and the, the the just the rich layers of color. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't make the, it, the cocoon it's reference. It's such like cool. a visual like me- meta. What is the word I'm looking for? Metaphor, metaphor for the physical tran- transformation she undergoes. Yeah. So once the cocoon opens, we see that it is the dog lady from. Uh, last ep- two episodes ago, the lady that has mm-hmm. control of dogs, and I at this point had no idea what was going on. I'm like, why is the dog lady in such a nice bed? But I don't know her life. Uh, she does not know her body. She has a hard time walking, a hard time getting around, and then she walks to a mirror and she says, "Wake up, Ruby." What did you think, Suzanne? Honestly, so I have stopped myself from reading too far into the book because I don't want spoilers. I want to be able to predict things in, in the show. Yeah. And this scene for me, I immediately recognize that dog woman because I remember being kind of captivated by the way she holds her mouth and acts. Mm-hmm. She seems like such an a throwback to like I don't know how to I don't know how to put this, like theater acting in a sense. So like I was like immediately like, what's up with this? You're dead. This whole like there's such a rich like information given about metaphor metamorphosis and like the cellular changes and the mm-hmm. science behind it and aligning it with magic and just what we know about these characters so far like the magic isn't good the magic no. is coming from somewhere bad that's a very lovecraftian thing and like so i just immediately feel like something more about how immediate some of this information is like we're being shown something that doesn't really it's misleading yeah. i think well they contrast the butterfly thing with the locust transformation, yes. which is specifically a different sort of metamorphosis than the butterfly one. Yeah. Because locusts, when they come into contact with more locusts, or when grasshoppers come into contact with grasshoppers around them, a certain type, they get bigger and they get hungrier mm. and they develop a hive mind. And yeah. that's when you call it a locust. Oh. Yeah. So it's different from a butterfly metamorphosis, which it will go into a cocoon and they and say it turns out. into a DNA soup and it yeah. comes back as a butterfly. I don't know if that's still the base yeah. science understanding of it. I don't. I mean, it, it seems from the way that she changes back, that we see her later on when it's a change oh, yeah. back. That, she that's the metamorphosis. Just emerges out of it. Yes. I can see the the merge into the white woman as a metamorphosis, but the merge out just seems like she's just busting out of her oh, skin. Yeah. But what's which interesting is so cool. about that is like when you think about um, a butterfly shedding its chrysalis that the the caterpillar formed the butterfly is revealed the butterfly emerges ruby is the butterfly yeah i think that's very important to maintaining the identity of the character and not not showing us that this black person should be white it's actually showing us that ruby is a character and a force unto her own and she is going to recognize that i agree and after the first time we find out that there is a body transformation, we cut to the logo, which is uh, Ruby's uh, silhouette with a bunch of butterflies out the back, which lets us know that it is a transformative episode. And then the the icon on the bottom is a butterfly made out of either tree roots or veins. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I, I'm thinking veins because think of the, so. the blood stuff, yeah, but uh, tree roots would be pretty interesting. Uh, the dog lady slash Ruby now is walking into, uh, she's walking down the street, she's having a hard time walking around, and then she just bumps into uh, a kid on the street. And cops come and beat the crap out of this they kid. They are right there. They are immediately right there. There is onlookers everywhere, and they are pummeling this little black kid. Um, which, you said it's a reference to... Emmett Till. Yeah, yeah. He, was a, he was a young, he was a young boy he was who old. was a, 
accused of offending a white yeah. woman and was subsequently lynched that night. Yeah. He was accused of just whistling, and then the people who lynched him and killed him, I believe, mm -hmm. eventually came forward and said that they did it, and they lied about it, but that was when Double Jeopardy was like, well, you already did this, so you can't be punished for it, blah, blah, blah. So um, there was a couple references to Tillman in the last episode, or in the one episode of The House with the Ouija, episode three, uh, one of the kids was named Bobo, which was Tillman's nickname. So they're they're mm. throwing in a lot of really clever, historically, historically accurate in. references. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I love about this. They, they make you do research because you know that they're giving you more information than isn't necessary to the story, but something where you need to go look it up. Like the Tulsa, you know, uh, the Tulsa Smith riot. Like Tulsa. Yeah. Like you would need to look that up if you didn't know that already, which I think is a really interesting thing the show does. So the cops are there. They call him an animal. And with all the onlookers, the cops escort the, the white woman, Ruby, away. And the cops are actually taking her back to her, quote, husband. Oh, is this one of the fits she's had? Yeah, they talk about the fits. Uh, what, the, Suzanne, do you have anything about this? Um, well, I thought it was really interesting that they juxtapose Ruby's first experience with white privilege immediately against the fact that she still has to go through the fact that she's a woman and mm -hmm. she gets treated a certain way and is not actually fully a citizen in that regard. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was very interesting because it's like, oh, you, you thought everything was plum dandy because you're now a white woman? Well, mm. guess what? There's a whole nother layering to your existence, yeah. which is the white man is still on top of you and still controls you. Right, which to her, just being white itself is such a leap of head, you know, leap ahead, but still, she has to still suffer just being a woman too. Um, yeah, and this is when she starts to have her quote fits. Right. But what's actually happening is she's starting to change back, which we don't really know yet. But um, she gets in, I guess she's in the house somehow. Uh, William lies William, her. William carries her out of the car. Oh, yeah. right. William carries her in the car and puts her on a plastic tarp. And oh, it's yeah. prepared. Everything it is, prepared. is ready. Yeah, he's ready. Yeah. And she starts to change back, and it looks painful. He skins her. Yeah. William, you, it's out yeah. of focus in the background as the locust. The, newscast is right. Like, yeah. But you see him jab the knife into her chest, and you see him remove things from her. Yeah, he's just ripping out what I thought was intestines, but I, I guess it's just... I thought he was gutting her, but and he was skinning her. Yeah, it's, just skinning her. It's so interesting, like, at this point, as he's approaching her with a knife to do this, mm -hmm. she asks not, are you going to kill me, but did I already die? Did yeah. I die? Did I die? Am I... Is this, mm -hmm. is this what this is? Like, I just keep dying now. Yeah. Which is an interesting way to think about being, like, reborn. Is not the focus on the life after, but, like, the death to get there. Yeah, and she's terrified. She's trying to crawl away, and he pulls her back by her leg. Yep. And just stabs, and what I thought was gutting her, but now we know is probably just shedding her skin. Um, then we're going to cut to Montrose, and he's pretty somber looking. And he's looking at his bloody nails, because obviously he just killed uh, Yahima. I just had a realization about this scene. And he's like looking at his nails mm -hmm. with Yahima's blood, and he's thinking about this this person he killed with the the two spirits embodied. Um, this might not be the right time to talk about in the episode, but when we get that scene later, and the same African locust newscast is playing about the metamorphosis, and he's at the ball. Yep. Um, and he's like watching his beloved move through space. It just like pulled me right right back. Those two things are so closely related. Mm -hmm. His his denial and killing of this person, and then yeah. later accepting himself. He it, goes through his own metamorphosis. Right, that's what I was going to say. Like the, the metamorph the metamorphosis, I think is the most beautiful. Is Montrose's in this episode? Yeah. Right after he's just staring at his nails, Tick and Letty enter. 
They're asking about Yahima, obviously. And Tick knows. One hundred percent. Tick absolutely immediately. calls it. Immediately knows and Letty does not. Letty I doesn't thought she might have realized a little delayed, but yeah. I do not think that in any sense no, does she, she does, know. Well she no does not. I don't think during no her reaction later, we definitely no. know that she doesn't yeah. know. But she's upset that the pages are gone. Um but she thinks that he just, just somewhere. He, he let her They're out. Somewhere. Uh, he's let, safe. Let, he he's let doing them, it to save them. Yeah, she just thinks that uh, Montrose let them out. Um, and that's when Tick just puts a pounding on oh, yeah. Montrose. And we don't he unleashes, see it. He unleashes a few years of rage. We don't see the we face, see his no. We see feet, yeah. and we see Tick bent over, and yeah. then there's obscured but you, furniture. But you definitely hear it. Yeah, you and know. it's filthy. And Letty has to pull him off. No, Letty has to call for help yeah, well, to right, get for other help. people yeah, to pull yeah. him off. Yeah. And then Tick storms off. He goes down to the basement. Right, he goes in the basement, and then... Well, Let he asks whether she took pictures of the pages down in the basement. Right, which yeah. he goes down there to look yeah. for just random pictures. And, and she stands him down. Letty goes down oh, there, yeah. and he's screaming her, and she's just standing there. And she's, she's shaking. shaking. But yeah. she's holding a bat, though. They don't reveal it until he looks down right. and then oh, I didn't walks even past her. that, yeah. Well... Does he look down at it? I think she steps out of the way and he Well, I know up. I know that he, the pan's down to her holding a bat. I don't know if it... I, I didn't see he him. He takes notice of it at a certain point, and that's yeah. when he noticeably like kind of cools a little bit and yeah. walks past Well, her. I was hoping it was just because he wanted to respect her presence as a woman standing in front of him saying, you need to calm down, this is unacceptable. I mean, I think that's also it, but with a bat, she is slightly more powerful. Oh, I mean, she 100%. is a powerhouse. She's threatening with that it's, power. Yeah. I know what she can do with it. it. It's a message to him that she came down there with a potential purpose. And that yeah. she's not going to stand down yeah. to him even if they are involved the way they are. Like, he, his behavior is unacceptable. Yeah. yeah. So we, from there we cut to William in a towel and not for very long and he's talking about butterflies while Ruby's sleeping. Uh, I'm fake sleeping or whatever. Sleep. While yeah. he puts together a woman's outfit. He Loaded. does. Yeah. He is putting together. Well, I, I keep noticing that scarf, and I mentioned to you last week. Scarf I was like, he keeps wearing the scarf that Christina wears. Yeah. Um, but uh, he speaks about the uh, a meeting Harem Epstein, which is a crazy doctor that builds the magical doorways. It was the ghost. That yeah, the ghost. In the third episode. Yeah, which yep. is a cool touch. But the magical doorways. Which is who Christina was looking for when she went to Letty's house in the last episode. Speaking in the language of Adam, he puts you know Chris, he, he's, he's putting on Christina's handkerchief, and. They really just show this, the, obvious, the, the very obvious transformation scene where it's like just butterflies all around Ruby um, while he's talking about transformation. And that's when she realized that magic exists. Oh yeah, there was a really interesting thing she said after this. When she asks him, ma like, magic exists, mm -hmm. and then she speaks to her experience walking down the street, and that she realized that people were not scared of her, mm -hmm. they were scared for, for her, her. Yeah. and that subtle shift there's a lot of these subtle shifts of perspective the the wording the words changing and the entire like one or two words change yeah. the entire meaning shifts like yeah a lot of her conversation is about just being treated as a human yeah. for the first time yeah, she, yeah. which is, and then sucks and then what she does with the power of being treated like a human for the first time is yeah. all mm. so william drops the vial and ruby grabs her dress and then she looks at the vial now we know that this vial is the apologies potion of, of this mm -hmm. show, right? So, was there any question from you guys of what this vial was? No, mm -mm. not at all, right? Okay, good. Um, then we're gonna cut to some white people on the street, and dog ladies dress up, which obviously we know is Ruby, and she is just enjoying. She's enjoying just being. She's getting ice cream at a white-only shop. Uh, she sits in a park and she just reads a newspaper, mm -hmm. and uh, she has this cool little ad in the newspaper about. 
uh, fashion something for white people. And oh, what was it? I it forget exactly what the ad was. Con woman. Confidence woman. Confidence woman, yep. Yeah. And that obviously gives her the idea that she should go check out the place. So I was, as soon as this scene started, I was immediately taken into the spoken word art. Yes. I honestly was like, I don't really, the scene, I get what's happening, but it's about the spoken word. Titled, For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide. Yeah. Or When Enough, When Rainbow Is, When The Rainbow Is Enough. Right. And so it's not, it's not about being suicidal so much as it is literally just existing being a radical thing in the world. And right. so it's told from the perspective of several women and it's like a whole choreo poem is what it's called. And so I think there are 20, 20 characters or 20 parts and the part we hear is the very end of the poem. Right. And I think it's just so beautiful. Like like what it what it adds to that scene, like it is the scene. Yeah, it's one of those things that this show has been doing the entire season, which is overlaying terrible voice it's, um, it's also featuring artwork from people yes. of color that's so relevant key. to the scene. Yeah. So While key. also juxtaposing it with old, well, not even old. Not old, no. Not old, but voiceover of various debates or right. speeches. or which are, which are clear to what we're seeing, but flipped in a really... The context against what it's shown is very... Yeah. Is very yeah. Like this, like this spoken poem about being pushed so far that you're going to be suicidal, or the, was that, is that not right? So this particular part, um, this poem is called Laying on of Hands. And they go through many parts, and we the, the piece that we hear is very much towards the end of the end. Mm -hmm. And there's a part in it where all of these women are saying that, like, the one says she can feel the gods coming into herself and opening herself to herself. So it's not so much about, like, being, I don't know, it's about the idea that you're pushed so far that you dig in. Okay. And so, like, there's the refrain, I found God in myself and I loved her. I loved her fiercely. All of the women come together to say this. And then the next part we hear is they sing to each other and then they end with um, one statement and it is, and this is for the colored girls who have considered suicide, but are moving to the ends of their own rainbows. And I think that that speaks so directly to like Ruby's experience of thinking she has the rainbow because she has white privilege, but that's actually not what the rainbow is. Like, what is the rainbow's end? Where does it take you? What do you, what do you actually get from that experience? So that's kind of how I read all of it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. I, I didn't read this poem and I, I definitely should have. Oh, I didn't read all of it, but I like tried to get the overall feel of it. Yeah. And it's, I think that this is something I am genuinely disappointed is not included in curriculums. Like to think that this is something that came about in the seventies, that is performed on and off Broadway, that this is a, a, a beautiful piece of American cultural history. And that like the majority of people don't even know about its existence. Yeah. We cut to, Tick cleaning his hands, and they're in George's garage, right? Did he go to George's garage? Um, I th I don't remember where they are. I don't know where they are either. I know that Tick's cleaning his hands, and Letty comes to him looking pretty apprehensive because she doesn't really know what's going on. It's the the um. It makes sense. The too. pamphlet publishing house garage oh, yeah. area. Oh, yeah. cool. She gives Tick uh, the negatives of the pages. She mm -hmm. did take pictures of the pages anyway. She throws so. it in but his face. But only after he says. Thank you for stopping me. Yeah. Only after. They, do have a, they have a discussion about his violent tendencies, and she yeah. asks, would you have killed him if I didn't stop you? And he says, I never thought I could recognize that violence in my father and myself. I, until went, to I war went to war, and I found it. 
Letty's very clearly like, this is scary. But this is not good stuff. But then he does ask Letty, he's like, please just don't be scared of me. Which I think is, yeah. it's, it's endearing. Yeah. Well, I think that they also have a... It's endearing so long as he makes an effort to not give her a reason. That's true. In the future. Very true. But that goes into a passionate kiss, which turns into some well, hood hood smooch. Yeah. Hood smooch? Yeah, they, he like uh, puts on the hood of a car. Oh, yes. Okay. And uh, they're, they're smooching, and then they goes over to some couch, <laughs> some couch loving. Huh? I said, see, it's, it's a garage. Uh, yes. Okay. I don't I have a garage. a garage. You have a car in your living room right now. <laughs> the fact that it's in a garage is very important. It, this is set in a garage. <laughs> um, I think it's important because George isn't alive anymore, and Tick goes there when he has a confrontation with his father. So it's George's space that he chooses to occupy. Yeah, right. That, that is important. Yeah. He doesn't run um, home. He doesn't go to his room. He doesn't hit the streets. He which goes ultimately to his is his safe father. Space. Yeah. Right, which is his dad. So he's sure. having a, a scene with both of his fathers. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. From there, we cut to Ruby in a tub singing. And why share magic with me? There are thousands of color girls on the south side. Why me? Yeah. Why not you? At this point, I would like to bring up that in the book, all of this information, everything about, uh, in this case, it's it's William, but in the book, it's Caleb's. Uh, everything is known. Ruby knows that Caleb knows Letty, knows knows Tick, knows Montrose, knows George, knows about Artem. All of it is now put out there, with the information added that. Yes, you're right. In fact, your sister doesn't know that I gave her this house. And yeah, you're right. There's probably something I'm going to want from her at some point. So it's kind of... The leverage is a little different in the book than it okay. is in the show. And I'm so curious about the differences and where they're each going to go. Yeah. That's when William says to Ruby, like, the first time I felt magic. You were the first time I felt magic when there wasn't any around. That was beautiful. That's a cute little line. I don't or manipulative. Know. I don't... I don't buy it. I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel like what we know later, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but that's when William talks about a favor, a small favor. Yep. And to Ruby, a woman he knows. Yes. Oh, yes. And Ruby immediately rolls her eyes because she knows. Like, yeah. Oh, well. It begins. Yeah. I am I am indentured to you. And that's when Ruby starts talking about being colored and being a woman while the world interrupts her, which is the start of a, 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 a pretty big pivotal point in this. I'm is, sick of being interrupted. Yeah. Just, she's just being interrupted just for being, which mm -hmm. I think is a really cool thing to say for women and which obviously I can't speak on or for colored people, but it seems like there's just something just stopping you from living. Not much stops me from just living my life. Uh, but I think that was really poignant the way that, that was put in there. So Ruby now, uh, as dog lady, she goes and interviews for her job at Marshall Fields. And she she says that she's imported goods from Maine. And that's when she starts getting caught in like her little lies. She immediately gets caught. The yeah. first thing she says... Little town, little town, you wouldn't know it. Little town, like, we moved me. to Chicago. Try me, we moved. We moved to Chicago. Yeah. 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 After my father died, which if you push me, I will only talk about my dead father. Yeah. That's how that read. And then that, uh, from her stumbling through that, it quickly swerves to him asking how she feels about working with colors. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God. It's like, he's like, I hope you have something negative to say yeah, so waiting. I can say it, but like, until you do, I have to maintain They're the not race crusaders. When he when he talks about the executive board dropping the mm -hmm. segregation laws, he goes, oh, they're not race, nobody there's race crusaders. Nope. Like, nobody there really believes in it's it. It's like optics. We're doing this because we have to, because society is moving forward and we want to come with it it's to an, bring it down later. It's a business. Yeah, yeah. We, ha we have to. Capitalism. It, yeah, yeah. Stupid. period. If the money was different, so would we. And what's really so interesting is so, like, Ruby goes through this 
scene with this man, I think his name's Paul Hughes, is the, the hiring manager at the at the general manager, I yeah. think. Yeah. And um there's like immediate sexual harassment. Oh yeah. Immediate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And overt, which mm -hmm. it's like you can see Hillary as she goes by in, in these mm -hmm. scenes. Like it it weighs on her. She recognizes that like, okay, I'm in this hug that I would not be receiving if I were Ruby in this scene, a black woman. And there's that like immediate like yes in order to get going in a career, going in a direction. Like as a woman, like this is something you might have to face. Yeah. Transitions to a horror scene as she transforms back into Ruby in the elevator. Yeah. After she gets the job though, she gets the and job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She uh. She actually, she's looking for the vial in her purse and she gets the assistant manager position without really even paying attention to without it. Without doing yeah. anything. Yeah. And it's her like same resume. Away. Right. Yeah, same that was exact the craziest resume. part. Yeah. So she leaves the office, leaves the vial in the office, and then gets the elevator and that's where you get her face just yeah. falls off. She starts breaking through her skin. Yeah. This was such a cool looking scene. The transformation sequences in this episode are fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Like, I... I didn't know what to expect with this. I knew that it was going to be a, 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 a come back to Ruby's form, but watching her just emerge from a human is gross. It's it's very reminiscent of the tone with which Lovecraft describes the supernatural in his writings, which is weird and disturbing and not entirely logical for the human mind to perceive. Yeah. So when, when you see... Later on, in, in particular, when you see like body parts, like a skull, come up through the shoulder, because it's not a one-for-one -one mm -hmm. equivalent. Right. It doesn't need to be because this is magic. This is not necessarily reflective now, in the physical world. Do you think they're smaller inside and then grow until they can't? I don't think it. Ma I don't. I think it's magic. I don't think it, they have an. I don't think they have an answer to that question. Because it, what we see later is we see Christina's hands like. Yeah, coming they out go of the down, back. They go down William's arm yeah. and match up with his hand. Right. It, it's magic. It and just they comes are, they're doing the magic thing where it is not physical magic. I love it. It's great. Uh, so from the elevator weird scene, we cut to Montrose at Sammy's door, and he's all beaten up. And he walks. You don't see it's him first. Wait, you don't see it, Sammy, or you don't see it, Sammy, at first. He knocks on the door, and yeah, there's a moment where he opens it. Oh, true. And I was curious, so I had a question at the beginning of this scene of being like, oh, Sammy lives in a motel? Sammy's a business owner, he's a bar owner, why are they in a motel? Mm. And then the scene proceeds, and mm -hmm. I'm like, still not understanding why they're in a motel, even though it's a sexually intimate scene. Um, that part comes back later, though. The, the questioning of why by the hotel room. Cut to preparation for the ball night. All of the ladies flood the room. They're all getting together uh, in that hotel room. I thought they were getting together in the oh, back I thought room they were of the bar. The dressing room of the ball. Oh, see, that's where I think I, would, I got. That confused. was a different. That was a different location. Okay, okay, I that makes more sense now. That I makes so they got much a hotel more sense. Room because they are two gay black men in the fifties having. That's either where I took it, or I, just, or I just thought that he had a crappy, uh, crappier apartment because he was black and. I'm assuming that it is entirely to completely separate that's, their trysts from that would both make of sense. their lives. I well, assume later Sammy, it was the same room. Sammy is openly gay. That's true. So I don't know if he's necessarily hiding. Maybe he knows that Montrose. I think Montrose is because. Yes. Especially when you pull in the thread of the song that's playing in the scene, "Bad Re Bad Religion" by yeah. Frank Ocean. Mm -hmm. That whole song, like going through it line by line is about a man who doesn't know how to how to 
be emotional. Yeah. And so he he has these emotional outbursts and and like like reaches out for like like an emotional connection with the taxi driver, but not the man that he's intimate with. So it's this idea that he's unrequited love with himself, and yeah. that he's not being true to himself, and so it's like really like Monprose's interior scene. Right, which is very on the nose. There's yeah. also the difference between being an openly gay person and being an openly practicing gay person. Yes. Fair. I, I don't. I, I know. I, I don't think that I picked up on this being a hotel room. I I felt oh, that it was yeah. just an apartment. Okay. Uh, and okay. I didn't think that there was anything about that that was necessarily. I feel like we didn't. I assume important, hotel, but, Yeah, I feel like but, we didn't get enough interior yeah, yeah. personality for it to feel like he was like. Well, I thought there was lights hung, and I feel like if there's lights hung, it's not a hotel. I gotta rewatch these yeah. scenes. So I it, it seemed like there was a lot of personal things around it that would make it more of a part. But yeah. who knows? But again, um, it also speaks to the '50s. It speaks to the, the Black American experience, and then you layer in being gay. You layer in all of these other intersections of like this man trying. It wouldn't make sense. Like, yeah. it wouldn't... I'm not, like, disparaging it. It just was more of, like, a curiosity for Oh, me. yeah. Um, now, this this intimacy that they it's have... It's intimate. It's sex. It, yeah. It, it is... It starts off as intimate because... It, because if you think about it, like, Sammy and him start holding hands, mm, and they I'm sorry? No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, I don't think it starts off intimately when you greet someone and then immediately turn around and bend over and assume in a position. And then that person comes up and immediately is inside of you. And yes, there's that hand clasping, but like there was something about it that felt so basely physical and not intimately well, like emotional. So when, when, when Tick and Letty have sex for the first time, that is emotionless. That is just rough yeah. sex. Now this one, because Montrose is crying, because they're holding hands, because Montrose is kissing him in the neck and he is being aggressive, but yeah. I think that he's, we, we do know that he is an aggressive person. It's like we, this unspoken, you're not comfortable with this, so I have to do this for you, so we have this moment. Sure, and we do know that Montrose does not handle emotion very well. He, he has beaten Tick his entire life, so he doesn't physically know how to handle emotion. Yeah. So we see this outburst of emotion, which starts off as nothingness, sex, sex yeah. goes into subtle emotion, and you can tell that he's starting to feel emotion, and that's when I think it turns away from emotion, because he re refuses a kiss from Sammy. He refuses to acknowledge his own feelings, right. but then he obviously just, he is engaged in the practice of it. Right, yeah. because instead of kissing Sammy, he just goes down on him. And, yeah, and then this scene, in comparison to a scene with them later, yeah. the growth that you you see, like that I think is like oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah, absolutely. This, this scene sets up everything perfect for Montrose's character, but it also just shows the the, the span of skill that Michael K. Williams has. Like, he is stunning. In this scene, with so many emotions he stars in this episode. With half of his face effectively paralyzed, by the way, for, mm -hmm. like, it, in the episode, he's so badly beaten that his eye is swollen shut, and it's basically like his forehead into his eye, into his cheek, or just one swollen mass. So you only get the emotional register of like two-thirds of his face at the most. Yeah. Then we cut to uh, White Ruby. On <laughs> Hillary her... Davenport, assistant manager. <laughs> yeah. On her first day of the job. So she immediately walks over to Tamara and gives her a hard time. Immediately. I, I wrote down exercises racism. Oh, she slips right into Immediately. Like she's mm -hmm. like so put off by the fact that she feels someone less than her was hired for a role that she's entitled to as an educated, practiced black woman, mm -hmm. and now in the role of Hillary Davenport, 
she stoops to the level of a white woman mm -hmm. and is overtly racist. Yeah. She, through her story, she quickly slips again, but then just has to fall back on telling Tamara, like, do you know what the stir you're causing around here? Just starts just some petty shit. Yeah. It's, it's I filthy. Said, she becomes immediately filthy. pulled into shenanigans and like in terms of like the back room with the white the white co-workers and how she allows them to do whatever they want well before that we actually find out that ruby asked tamra like oh so what was your experience like you know being a high school graduate blah 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 and it turns out that tamra has no experience she didn't finish high school and that she got the job mostly because she was black mm -hmm. but that ruby probably would have got the job anyway if she would have applied first yeah which is just upsetting. So Ruby's obviously breaking a little bit. Um, but that's when we go into the back room and like you said, the, the white women are just so catty back there and they're trying on clothes or trying on shoes and... Ruby tries to find out if any of them have had interactions with Paul. Yeah. And they all kind of shut it down and the one girl says Norman something Ross. about her father has a saying about how that's the paranoia you have to pay for being a working girl or something to the that effect of it's happening, it's happening to you, but we will never, ever, ever say anything or support you, but it's happening. Yeah. Now, did you get the feel that he was doing that to all women? Or that he was doing it to specifically black women? But I guess only one black employee, so... Well, we only have it from from Hillary's perspective of seeing anything at this point in terms of his behavior with these women. The only That's interactions true. we see him... The only women we see him interact with, honestly, are Ruby in her Hillary form. Yeah. And Tamara... Later, we yeah. don't see yeah, him so really interact point, with the with the white women, but he does go with them to south to the south side. Which is yeah. when we later see him interacting with Tamara. I guess my question for the group is: Did you read that scene, <clears throat> like Suzanne said, um, as it's something you just had to deal with, or did you read it as he doesn't do it to us? I read it as him having a thing for black women, and somehow he was... Then why did he get so up on Hillary during her interview that he had to hug her from excitement for hiring her? Because Ruby is a force of personality, yeah, and I think, he read I something think, into yeah, it. Yeah, I, because I was, I was a bit on that side too, like, he, I think maybe she's it's, reading different. That's dangerously close to saying he can tell she's a black woman, therefore he's going to assault her. No, I agree with you 100%, which is right. why I, I didn't say that. <clears throat> that's how it seems. No, no you're yeah. right. Yeah, I just, I didn't understand his motives and I couldn't understand how they were speaking. Because I, it almost seemed like they were like, oh, he wouldn't do that to us. But I, it's also I like, tell. they would say that, in my opinion, having, like, like I, I live in the 20th century. I can tell you that women to this day will still have very veiled conversations about sexism, misogyny, and things like that in the workplace. Yeah. And it will 100%, someone would maybe say something along the lines of, Oh, that doesn't happen to us, and it would read as, "No, that happens. You need to be careful." Well, sure. I mean, that's... it's like it's like such a weird like woman's code, and like I'm. It is interesting to think that like maybe these women aren't being subjected to it, but the thing is, is like Tamara's a recent hire, so yeah. it's either he's never done this up until Hillary, and then later Tamara, mm -hmm. or he has a history of doing this, and everyone sweeps it under the rug. Yeah, that's true. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to woman code, I wouldn't know that. So. Oh, I can start giving you lessons. I'll fill you <clears> in, <throat> just so you know. From my experience with you as a bartender, you are 100% in, in on the girl code when needed. Oh, good. Yeah, you pick up good. Oh, good. My, the only reason I suspected 
that it, they were being legitimate is only because there were no filmmaking things that indicated any of them were not being true. Right, and that's that's what I was saying. Yeah, I was, just, I was only asking. I was just trying to feel like what because I I took it. I was like. I don't understand why they're saying this. I, did, I didn't get it. And then he was so aggressive with Tamara earlier. Yeah. And then he wasn't aggressive with anybody else. He did touch Hillary's shoulder, which obviously is not great. Or he hugged her or whatever. She um, was trying to run out of the room and he yeah, physically he, stopped her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, I, whatever. He's oh, no, I'm just like 100% like I'm not going to give this man any any leeway or excuses. Oh, he's and a, you should not. He's a, I he's wasn't does, trying to. Oh, I know you're not. Yeah. I'm not. No, no, I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I just want to be I'm not on this guy's side at all. This guy sucks. I think he's misunderstood. <laughs> oh, I'm an internet commenter. I think you so, guys are being too hard on Paul. Oh my gosh, this guy's Paul. a simp, and that's fine. Fuck Paul, I said ah. it. In this scene, after they kind of brush off uh, Ruby's comment about mm -hmm. Paul, it immediately turns into this conversation about how these white women think Tamara should lead them on a safari to the south side. Oh, yeah. And like oh, all yeah. of this like language they're using, Zoo you can talk. just you can literally see. Ruby come through Hillary's face in terms of like how the actor conveys those emotions. I started to pay attention to that a lot in this scene. To see yeah. Hillary versus Ruby as this actor presents both of them is fascinating. Yeah, I will say that I, I feel that the actor is doing a fairly good job of channeling Ruby and how she would have acted a scene. You can tell that she is way different than her character as the dog lady. So I, I, I commend I, this actor. I don't know her name offhand, but uh, she, I'm impressed. Yeah, it feels like you can almost sense Ruby's actor, like yeah. that actor coaching this other actor, like, okay, so if I were to do that scene right now, from my perspective, yeah. this is how I would think about it. Like, it's just like, you can see all of the layers of like how seriously they take take, take it. Yeah. Stutter. And after that zoo talk about the going to the bar on the south side, which is filthy, uh, they all walk outside and William's waiting outside next to the car and the ladies like him did you have some oh no i just i like really we're not like in our heads you can't hear that over a podcast yeah, yeah. we're like really really into <laughs> yeah. this what's about to happen in this scene yeah the, i i like this scene a lot this is very very interesting um so william this is the first time that william is talking about the favor and what the favor is which is she has to attend this party yep and there's no question about what i i didn't obviously i didn't expect what was coming next but yes I was going to say, my favorite part of this is as she walks up to him and he goes in to kiss her, she turns her cheek mm -hmm. and oh, he yeah. says, oh, you don't want me to kiss Hillary. And she says, do you want to? And I think it's so interesting that they're like immediately on the same page of reading the discomfort that Ruby has mm -hmm. in, in that yeah. idea of I'm not Ruby. Hillary is a different person, which William, feeds into... <laughs> I'm not William, mm -hmm. I'm actually Christina, yes. yeah. which re like the whole reveal and the layering and just... Yeah. And the part, uh, the, the favorite thing he needs is her to attend a party and right after that he says that he has a present for her <laughs> and she opens it up and it's... Beautifully wrapped box, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I... it's just a maid outfit. Yep. Ugh. A server's outfit. So crummy. So they cut to the party and Ruby's now wearing this as Ruby. Pissed off as ever, oh, dead she, in the no, face. Oh, she is mad. Just She's serving dead. these racist ass white men. Man, uh, Lancaster, the captain, snaps at her. I Ugh. call him Captain Asshole in all my yeah. notes. I just like never yeah. bothered to learn his name. I'm just like, Captain Asshole, captain, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Um, but we learned something about him that is wildly interesting. Later. But, so Ruby walks into the kitchen area and Christina's hanging out back there. And 
she knocks on the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ruby does, is not interested. And like, no. it's like, she's like, how dare you call me like that? And mm-hmm. she's like, what do you need? You were supposed to be here an hour ago. Yeah, love that. William does like a demanding woman, Christina says. <laughs> which I just find so delicious after the reveal of this episode. And Christina tells Ruby that she just needs to hide something at the captain's office. Yeah, you just need to go sneak into the pol- chief of police's office and yeah. hide something incriminating in his desk. Yeah. This is a death sentence. We find out. It's for personal revenge. Right, we found out that William is the heir to the cottage, and the captain apparently has tried to kill him over this. Has, has succeeded. Succeeded as far yeah, as the captain kill, is concerned, him. which brings me right back to the first yeah. scene of the episode where I was just like literally feeling so triumphant at this point. Like, okay, confirmed, this person may be dead. Yeah. And that's when... Don't Christina you gives her. <laughs> Don't you oh, want yeah. William to be safe? Let me manipulate you. Do you care about him beyond what he's providing yes. for you? Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> will you, uh, Christina hands Ruby a rock, which has a rune on it. And we find out what that rune means later. It was a fossil, wasn't it? Wasn't it a fossil? With a rune carved in the middle. Some, oh. Yeah, yeah. It was like very very specific type of rock, yeah. clearly, and then something inscribed on it's it. It's a little circular square with a swirl. With yeah, like no, I know there was a symbol, and I just thought it was a regular rock. I didn't notice it was a fossil. I thought it looked like there was a fossilized shell in it. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. interesting. Because there's been some shell stuff already. There so. has been. Um, let's see where Matt here. So we cut to Letty's basement. Oh, Tick's falling asleep. Falling asleep is having a nightmare. Yeah, he's oh, dreaming yeah. Um, that he's being that he's on Ardham. fire. He's back in Ardham trying to escape. Yeah, he's in that mansion. Can't. can't escape. And that slave woman who, with the book of the life... His ancestor. ...is just staring at him. She mouths something. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Would would Can't make it out. What do you think it was? I have no idea. Just guess. Leave. Uh, Die. Hey, how, how's, it, how's it going? You're on fire. So You should put that out. Watch your leg, bro. Wake up before you forget you how. You shithead, you will actually die in this dream if you don't wake up. You're actually <laughs> on fire. Yeah. You, uh, should wake, you should wake up before you forget how to. I think it's interesting because this is, what, the second time we're seeing Tick dream, right? And in each of his dreams so far, from the first episode and this episode, there's a woman of significance. Yes. We don't yeah. know who the woman is from the first one, per se, uh, yeah, aside from our right. theories. Right. Um, and... She's recalled later in this episode too. He yeah. calls oh, her yeah. Jiha. Ji- Wait, is that her name? Jia. Jia. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. That 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 was like a poing. Yeah. Some, something's going on oh, there. Yeah. So when he wakes up, Letty uh, looks at Tick's deciphering skills, and he's trying to hack this code or or just decipher this thing. Um. He uses the ring, which has his initials inside of it, that are in the language of Adam. And they have a, a, a protection rune, so they have a few more mm-hmm. letters to decipher with, right? Right, they know that one of the letters is protection. Well, and then Tick says, if it's analogous to English. Right, there's so a nice assuming little it's a one-to-one. Yeah. yeah. A, a 26, 26 characters. It's, yeah. And he thinks, I guess what he <laughs> thinks is his initials. Yeah. Right? We find out his middle name is Samson. Yeah. What Does Samson have any context in... Um, Lovecraft? Not that I know of. Okay. Not that um, I recognized. It's biblical, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I knew there was, like, big context. Right, I didn't know yeah. if there was anything specific it's, uh, to Lovecraft. The be. Samson story is that his strength was in his hair, and Delilah tri- uh, accepted silver in order to... Uh, well, she she tried to find out multiple times what he was weak to, and he kept lying to her. And then eventually, he tells her that it's his hair, she accepts payment, cuts his hair, he is tied to the temple, and then his last act is to call on God, and he tears the temple down, killing him. Yeah. But it is a, it is another biblical story about a woman betraying a man by preying on his weakness. 
Mm, okay. Yeah. So there's relevance there. Um, and so uh, while they're deciphering and they're talking um, about these pages, this is when uh, Tick reveals to Letty, like, hey, like, Yahima didn't go free. He didn't hide those pages. He destroyed the pages and he destroyed her. Well, he, or them, rather. He acts like Montrose didn't. Like, he, he acts kind of like, because he knew that immediately. Yeah. yeah. So he reacts to Letty being, and he's just like, Letty, I, like, for real, he killed her. Yeah. Like, bluntly, like, like, dead. Yeah. Yeah, she does not take the news well no. at all. She. But that's when there's a bit of a magic talk, which I think is a really cool moment where Tick says that. Well, Letty thinks the magic's making them bad. She thinks she it's corrupting them. The, right. It's inherently evil, these pages, the book about them, all of it. Right. And Tix, he maintains the course that magic is nothing. It's it is not how in, you use it. It's not inherently evil. Yeah. What's wrong with protecting ours? Which, you know, now it's going to swing and it's going to find words. out. Yep. Yeah. Famous, Famous last words. Famous last words yeah. where magic like this is concerned. This has not been portrayed as a valorous no. act to no. perform this magic. No. We're going to cut back to Ruby at the party, and she's in the captain's office. She drops the fossil. Into a drawer. Into very, a drawer. Very easily. Success right away. Yeah, right. quick. Yeah. What she was told to do. Boom, boom, boom. Super easy. Easy, easy, easy. Barely any Well, and then... Then she hears some kind of noise, which draws her over the closet. For example. Oh. That was, that was a good noise. <laughs> Thank you. And there is a scarred man tied up in there. Just pouring blood out of, out of his mouth. mouth. Yeah. And she hears cops coming, so she has to get... Gets in there with him! She has him. to get in there with him, which is so filthy. Um... And she is gagging. She's, she's doing a great hand job. Over she's his gagging, mouth. Hand over he's her mouth. trying to make noise. So yeah, she she's has. She's thrashing. I'm like, how how is he even suspended? Ugh. I don't want to know. I don't need the answers. Um, the 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 cops start talking about Christina and what she's doing. That bitch. But this is when we see the cops' chest. So it? he's sweating like a pig, as he puts it. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, which honestly made me chuckle. Yeah, that's funny. He knows what he is. And he asks for another shirt. He doesn't get himself. <laughs> he asks someone to get him a shirt. Yeah, he's got cronies there. So he's taking his shirt off, taking his time, and lo and behold, this guy has a black torso. His entire midsection has been replaced with stitching and a black torso. Yeah. It's so far away, and you see it through Ruby's perspective, through the slats of a closet. You can't tell, really. I really wasn't, can't. I wasn't 100% sure. I wasn't was sure it a tattoo? Was, a was it a torso? skin graft? What is this? Yeah. I... I assumed it was a body replacement. See, you could I see the stitching. Like where his head but and arms were put back on? I assumed on. it was either black or like. corpse. Ugh. Right, like either it's a different skin it tone or dead. it's decayed yes. flesh. Yeah. So he does make the comment as we continue through this scene that has Zerone given up the location of where he hid the loot that he stole or yeah. whatever, blah, blah, blah. And da 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 da. Captain Asshat says, oh, he'll speak. The dead always speak. Yeah. So he's gonna die. So we know the guy hanging in the closet is already dead. He's Why waiting for him to speak. He's performed magic to bring this guy back to give up his oh. secrets for life. I assumed he was in the process of dying oh. and they would talk mm. to him later. I yeah, took it the I, other way around because it cool. made sense but to like the body that. transfer if they can like revive corpses and reanimate like people and manipulate it. I like that because if you look at the guy in the in the closet, he's he is, dead. He's scarred up. Like he's he, he could up. actually have like uh, 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 what do they call it when he cuts my open autopsy? Yeah, an autopsy. All I could scar. think of was hysterectomy <laughs> scars. Yeah, it, yeah, we definitely saw his balls. 
Is that where his heart? Is that what you think? Oh, it's a girl. It's girl stuff. Oh yeah. Cut that out. Yes, literally. That's what a hysterectomy is, Zach. Cutting them right off. Yep. Uh, Cutting girl stuff. This is a weird. Weird. Yes, weird divergence. All right. Davenport breaking down. Oh, okay. So we get this weird scene with Ruby in the closet with seeing all this weird shit happen for, sorry, curse word, gonna, it's it's weird shit. Mm -hmm. Cuts to Hillary Davenport at work the next day, rushing to Tamara to be like, you don't understand how fucking crazy white people, white are. people are. I am breaking down in front of you for no reason right now. Yeah. And I just loved it. I mean, shoes. <laughs> I mean, you gotta be better because all of these white people are gunning for you. You have to be better. You I mean, have shoes to. by the monochromatic dresses. Coming yeah. from Hillary in this scene is, is wildly like misplaced. I'm trying to help you from a very racist perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from if it were Ruby giving this information to Tamara, how does that scene change? How do you read it? Oh my goodness. Well, she at the very Could end not says, get into the door to do they it. They got shit you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so and yeah. Paul's there and he uh, goes, "What's up? Yeah, what's going on?" Oh, it's okay. Um, I was just talking to Tamara here, who's going to be taking us out to the South Side tonight. Immediately sells her Swerve. out. Swerve again, again takes advantage of the fact that she does have the benefit of the white skin, and look at this person who's different than me for no reason other than an obvious like petty thing i can i can use her i yeah, can use her i can swear. use her so we cut from there to a bunch of queens putting on makeup on montrose and to be clear we're referencing uh both drag queens i believe that there are some uh trans individuals in this scene and it is legitimately if you've seen uh either Paris Burning or the newer documentary Dismantled. Mm -hmm. It is ballroom culture to yeah. a T. Yeah, the 50s, it is the Latino, oh, yeah. African-American inclusive community of men and women and, and people who don't fall into those categories coming together and we get the uh, locust metamorphosis. Yeah. But they're not putting makeup again. on Montrose, are they? He's, yes, they are. He's hanging out. Okay. Oh, no. she's, she's putting like yeah, she's like, she's touching up his eye. Oh like yes, okay. yeah. yeah while, right. while they're all just mingling, yeah. whatever, and they're, and they're, like, they're actually talking about Montrose and Sammy's relationship. It's the yeah. sweetest, cutest. It's so oh, cute. Oh, sassy Sarah Vaughn. I'll have you know. Yeah. Mm, sassy Sarah Vaughn in this scene. Is, is that a? Is it's that a her character? Name that's Sassy Sarah Vaughn is Sammy. Oh, that's Sammy's character. So Sammy's character, like oh. in drag yeah. or it, as a queen, mm -hmm. uh, Sassy Sarah Vaughn. And what I loved about this. Scene is you get the African locust reference again. Mm -hmm. The locust of Migratoria. Yes, and I wrote down like, so I wrote, is this not directly related to Christina slash William? And at this point, it was just my theory about those two characters. This episode is about like privilege, the privilege to live as themselves. And in this case, it's like magic versus makeup, right? So the freedom of being whoever you want to be outside of race, outside of gender, that these things are really just categories that we use to oppress other people. Yeah. And I think that is such an interesting thing and that's when this show really just deepened and took a different turn for me. It's it's showing you like how many enriched communities and lives have been completely erased because of racism, because of white supremacy, because of I can't handle that you're not the same as me and that you don't want the same things that I do, therefore you're other and less than. And mm -hmm. it's just like this scene came together in such a beautiful way for me. It's about the power of embodying a persona yes. and how that can be a way for you to like be yourself yeah. when you are not otherwise 
capable of it. I wrote, gender is a lie we use to exert control. You can't punish or push someone down without them being different from you. Yeah. And that scene of just happiness and glory and positivity. And Mom having a good time. dancing? Are you kidding not, me? Not yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. Not yet. Uh, well, then you are kidding he's me. He's still withdrawn. Yeah. Yeah, he's still just sitting there. He's withdrawn. Uh, he's they're getting watching... ready. But then it cuts to the bar, the Southside bar. No, he's wearing a sheer shirt, which I love in that scene. Oh, he's looking great. It's a it's a visual cue of his him starting to open up to himself, the transparency inward and outward. Yeah. So we cut over to Southside Bar, and the bar's popping. Now the white gang, uh, they're in the booth, they're all drinking uh, together, the workers, whatever. And one of them eventually just grabs T Tamara and to go dance. They all get up and go, but Hillary stays, and she Watch takes a shot. Yeah, and she looks around. She's uncomfortable with the She's fact upset. that these white women have willingly entered this world after and talking about them accepted. in such a way. Yeah. yeah, and that they've been accepted. That not only have these women entered her space, but as she looks around, it's people she knows. It's her friends picking them up to dance with them. Yeah, like take like like the idea that like look how easy it is for white white skin to enter space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and take 100%. it, and not only enter it, but now it's theirs. So she takes a shot and she goes outside and you can see her holding the vial. She's contemplating using the vial, which lets me know that she's about to change. And she's about to maintain. Or maintain. But she doesn't. She changes back into Ruby. She breaks it. And it is so graphic. Oh, it's great. And so well done. It's such a the, gorgeous She looks at it and knows knows what's gonna happen if she continues yeah. to hold it and is forcing herself to see if she can. So she grabs just a jacket. And she's covered in blood because covered. she has just—it's like she's exploded. A yeah, she's exploded out of her former out skin. of her white cocoon, and she overhears the boss sexually and verbally and filthily uh, harassing Tamara. He's assaulting her. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um. Did, did you see what happens when Tamara leaves? Like what Paul does. He reacts in a very weird way, and I wasn't sure how anyone else viewed that. He straightens he up. He said something. He kind of yelled out something. He yelled something stupid, but and he... It felt like Ruby received it, but there was no reason for him to know Ruby was there. He yeah. was he was shouting after Tamara. He was like, yeah. you stupid. Well, I know, but he, he says it, and then he, he postures in such a way that, I don't know, it just... Because he got rejected by her. Yeah. Not only did he go after what he views as subhuman to himself, yeah. but that, that thing not only rejected him, but rejected him successfully and fought him off. So now not only does he get to tell her off, but he has to compose himself because it hurts his white privilege. It yep. hurts his white pride, his sense of himself. It's like, it's it's like, how dare this thing beneath me that I try to lift up remind me that it, like, it's just... Yeah. No, that's, I got you. I could go on. <laughs> so we cut from there over to Sammy doing his thing, and he's walking around, she's walking around the bar, in second yeah. place with her second place her, sash everyone who's got sashes who's been awarded they have like this moment yeah. where they're all just swirling amongst each other it's yeah. this beautiful moment of uplifting of celebration of everyone is respected for being themselves mm -hmm. everyone is welcome and it is like the warmest brightest fuzziest scene it's the happiest part of the show so of the far. entire show the entire yeah, show all five episodes yeah and Montrose just sitting back in the corner kind of and Blowing. he's just watching uh, looking good but just watching Sammy walks over and takes his hand, and they dance publicly. And he does and not he gets, hesitate. And it's cute. He goes into it. 
He does. He gets into it and he then, surrenders himself. Yeah. And then well, I wrote down mantras love Sammy. It was this. It was this part right here, and that's when Sammy leaves. And I was like, oh, this is weird. What's going on? And Montrose is left on the floor, right in the middle of the dance floor by himself. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that he is a little uncomfortable first. Mm -hmm. And then someone else comes up and dance with him. And he finds a sense of freedom. And he just loves it. He, I, I wrote asterisk, this is about queer love. Yeah. This is about this love. Love, yes. Yeah. I mean, queer love, yes, but this is just love. This is someone finding themselves. It's someone being so fine and comfortable with himself, like being a black man, being a gay man, being whatever with his son and everything else and it just seemed for the first time he felt accepted and he felt light and free and him accepted by himself in addition yeah. to being around people who accept him yeah i i wrote his acceptance is gorgeous and then he grabs sammy and he kisses sammy in the most passionate beautiful way and i am in love with the show like the, it was i mean there's a lot of things about the show that i love but uh, this this scene caught me as like okay this is not just a horror show this is not just a oof racism in the 50s is obviously shit this is not just let's explore Lovecraft this is a let's let's find heart and touch on all of those things what do you guys think about that scene I mean obviously we were talking about but... oh it's the, it's the core of this episode yeah like Montrose is not in this as much as the other characters but this is very much a study of his character so far yeah uh, but but the one thing that I will say is that it's good to see him in a positive light because a lot of what we've been seeing from him is alcoholism, abusiveness, and then there's a lot of questioning of is he doing this for good reasons or not? You see yeah. uh, where a lot of his instability comes from. Yeah. Yes. Um, today I was reading about how um, uh, when it comes with with ideas of gender, if if you are not living openly about how you feel the idea that like that unhappiness even if you don't recognize it eats away at you and hurts you in that sense yeah. and so we've been seeing that side of Montrose mm -hmm. we've been seeing the I don't know what it is if it's a sexuality thing or just a love thing or just not being able to talk to my kid thing like we see him struggle we don't know what it is and to see him step literally into the light and figuratively like to come into this acceptance like I think it's gonna be really interesting, like what they choose to do with his character going forward. Do we get this duality, yeah. Yeah. or does he actually maintain this enlightenment of sorts? Does he actually take this and it, it show a true shift in his character and his in his being? Because I think he wants those things from with Tick. I think he wants to be able to be a a better person, a better parent. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, they definitely haven't shown a lot of his desires. They've shown his struggles. Yes, and so, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested also to see what like now we know some things about him. Now we're kind of on his side. What are they going to do with his character? He is now? capable of slitting a woman presenting person's throat. Now, for the right reasons, maybe a father <laughs> could be, I, a family sure. could be. Yeah, but we don't know the reasons. No, we don't. Well, anyway. I just had a random thought like so we we're being led to believe that um montrose has more information than he's giving so it could be fair to assume that he has all of the information that he knows about magic he knows about the language of adam he knows a lot more mm -hmm. of this stuff is it possible that he has used this to his advantage and has caused maybe harm to his wife slash Tick's mother to his own identity and self. Like, like what is what is like like we mentioned Yahima, and I feel like it's too poignant that like um, 
Montrose would love Sammy and kill Yahima and not recognize like the hypocrisy possibly or like how closely related so much of his surroundings are becoming. Do you think he's Christina as well? No, I don't I don't think anything like that, but I can't see her being interested in having his experiences. Like, to be uh, yeah, to be unfortunately that. like honest about That's her true. Well Christina does say something later on that would make me think she could but she so, could be Mondros? Well that she could want <laughs> that. Um, so we cut to Ruby at uh, quote home, which is obviously William slash <laughs> later Christina's places. Uh, Christina comes in and that's when Ruby confronts the, uh, Christina about the basement. They keep going into the basement. It's the only place oh, it's I locked. Think, I thought that was later. That's like the last uh, scene. She sees Christina come out of the oh, basement Oh, that's right. First. Okay, so yeah. this is the first And then she confronts time. Oh, God, I gotta William go. yeah. about it at the end of the show. <clears throat> yeah. And William tells... So this is when we find out that what we think William tells Christina everything. Chris, Christina knew some stuff that was pretty... Uh, yes. Important to a conversation. He told you about that? Yeah. Ruby's and pissed. Christina says, "Yeah, we want to be you, and you want to be us." White uh, women was, are disillusioned. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was pretty weird. Um, then they talk about magic currency. How would you feel about magic currency? About how magic allows complete, unmitigated freedom. Mm -hmm. In this universe, I could see people believing that, but... It feels like manipulation. It's not only manipulation, but magic in this... I'm coming from a meta perspective, where magic in this tends to have a cost yeah. that is pretty drastic and often existential. Yeah. It will drive you insane. It will dehumanize you and de disconnect yeah. you from reality. And eventually you become something that is not you. And then Christina says... Who are you really uninterrupted? And you can see like just a flash in Ruby's eyes. Of connection, yeah. yeah. Like, whoa. That's, that's pretty interesting. I think it's, so parts parts of this episode, like I get that we're, we're playing around with so many key components of identity that like it's hard not to like want to relate all of them. Mm -hmm. But there was something about this scene and specifically the Ruby-Christina relationship to me, or Ruby, Christina slash William relationship where it feels like William and Christina are actively trying to let Ruby know what's going on. Like they're kind of maliciously compliant to the rules of not revealing things, Yeah. but it's like, I'm going to repeat myself as multiple people so that you hear me say these things as multiple people. So you start to get pissed that I'm telling myself things. Like yeah. it's interesting how that's starting to unfold because it ultimately I wonder, like, I had questions about, like, consent, if Christina is William and Ruby doesn't know about it. Yeah. But now it's almost like, it's, it's like Christina and William are pushing Ruby to get to the point where they can be like, well, you knew all along. Yeah. For the ultimate, like, like, painful, like, manipulation so slash, like, can you really be upset with me? I told you I was a snake the whole time. Mm. That's why I'm curious as to whether it was genuine or not and why I don't think it, because yeah. it feels like she's kind of like, hey, hey, listen. Things are this way, wink. But it would be, there's also like something interesting about the idea that like, Christina could have a genuine interest in Ruby and that she could see this as, look at what you and I can do together. Well, my question really is, at the end of last episode, we saw when Ruby and William were hooking up that Ruby's hand got cut and William slurped that up. That's true. Why do you think Christina wants Ruby's blood? You think it's like a, just a sex thing? 
that might have been like a fetishy sex. Might have thing. been just a sex thing when you. Because get, you also, yeah, we get like some. When some you get that rich and powerful, you get a. Uh, get desensitized. Yeah, fair. Christina's kinky. Also, um, the cut on the hand was that accidental or in- intentional? I can't remember. Well, she like backed into a table and, and she broke slipped her hand something. pretty. Okay, I think it's just a sex thing then. It's not like he was like, well, let me get out this knife and cut you to lick It was blood. not ritualistic. There's yeah. Hey, there's magic. I know, I kill you. The next thing we have is Hillary giving her notice. She tells her boss that <laughs> that she's pretty much attracted to him, and the reason that she needs to quit oh. is so that she can mess around. Not only is she pretty, attract, pretty much attracted to him, she's so attracted to him that she could not let her salacious nature sully his good name and the only thing she can do is to tenure her notice so she can fuck his brains out yep her words some of them (laughs) so well yeah pretty pretty uh, i don't think that was a quote (laughs) it was a lot of it was almost the sentiment was there the more evocative phrases in there are word for 100 percent yeah um he tries to grab her but she does not let him she's in control oh yeah she turns around on him um, put the leash on him. Yeah, yeah strong she, woman. She strips him. Appreciate that. She strips him lower half. She puts the belt around his neck, and then she makes him suck the heel of her shoe. Yeah, he does. I he find does. that to be the most interesting form of foreshadowing in this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I immediately went, oh god, no. Oh yeah. Um, well then you might as well say what happens next. So uh, at the the next bit of uh, action, so to speak. We find Hillary Davenport with Paul. He's, you know, got his belt as a leash around his neck. He has his penis out for all intents and purposes. She's he's leading been, him to believe she's he's a, been he's about to get head. He's now gagged, his hands are bound, and she pushes him down face first into the ground. And in one movement, the heel of the stiletto is fully engaged to his anus. Yeah. I don't know how else to yep. put it. And and she violates him with a, with a she heel, rapes him with a stiletto. I'm not with sure if she gets the anus because it's bloody. Well, it's also her <laughs> yeah. transformation. I think she misses a couple. It's a times. stiletto. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, I was just saying that she probably missed the hole a couple times. That's all oh. I was saying. Um, it's a whole other. Yeah, and then as, different she, podcast. as she's doing that, she is transforming back yeah. purposely, intentionally, yeah. and this is the first time you see her actively push through the transformation right she rips her skin off she pushes her face out yeah and you can see that she knows the strength of what this scene could be if she were black in the scene obviously because it's more important but she just drips all over him and then she steps on him and leaves and she doesn't just step on him and leave she makes a very clear point of rolling him over and looking him in the face as the transformation concludes Mm -hmm. and says i wanted you to know expletive bitch did this to you so that he knows that remember that that oh, yeah. black girl that rejected you and emasculated you earlier oh it gets so much worse for you from now on oh yeah so from that filth, I wrote epic yeah no that's a great scene this, this is just like just shot after shot just amazing oh, scene so we cut to from that to Letty in the Tub Tick enters oh. and they talk about faith a little bit yeah. Um, and Letty's a little bit worried because the last time they her and Tick tried to engage in any kind of relationship or at least conversation, he was just about to dip again. Go back to Florida. <clears throat> yeah. So he's about to go back. Well, she's worried about that. Yeah. And that's when Tick lets her know about uh, Jaya in Korea. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting conversation between the two of them while Letty is in the tub. So it's immediately an intimate setting, and they kind of talk about. 
each of their experiences growing up. So he opens up about Jia and how he doesn't know if he loved her because he never had good examples growing up. And when you think about it, it's his father is closeted, his He's mother's nasty. had an affair with yeah. his uncle, who is his father. Like, there's so many strains on the loving relationships in his life that they aren't good examples. Yeah. And Letty, like, kind of mirrors the sentiment, like, she grew up with her mother just running from relationship to relationship, thinking that love would be what she needed to survive, what she needed to save herself. And so Letty got to a point where she saw her sister Ruby doing the same thing and mm -hmm. decided, and quote, I didn't want to be with a man if it didn't mean nothing. Yeah. And, and what Tick replies with is... This is special. That is me... Wait. That is one thing I'm not confused about. Yeah. And he loves her. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, I like that. I'm liking it. It's had a, it's had a very nice, it's had a good arc to it. it yeah, has. the interesting thing is at the beginning of this scene when they start to have like their conversation about faith and like it's like a a bad conversation versus good, meaning like their goods and their bads and like what they bring into a, a dynamic. I really it felt like Luddy could have been leading into a breakup. And that, that Tick yeah. brought it back. Like, Tick let her kind of talk through how she was feeling and, like, kind of talk about, like, her mother having this sense of things and how she was kind of used for it. And then, like, back into the conversation about love mm -hmm. and parents. And at the end of it, they recognize that, like, we better each other. Yeah. And it goes from that, and then we cut from that to Ruby confronting William about the basement. William comes home. Yeah, and just immediately, Ruby's on. Yep. What's She's the sitting there waiting. Yeah, what's in the basement? Like, you and Christina, blah, 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 blah. And the fact that I think she mentioned Christina's name is important to this scene. That yeah. She's like, I see the two of you. And then immediately, William just starts transforming. Like, he forced yeah. it. Like, he's in control Either of Either he forced it or he timed it. Yeah, he knew. Like, I need to get to the basement or you're going to see this. Yeah. That is what I do in the basement is what's implied here. And you can tell by this transformation that Christina's more used to transforming. She has a better see, control over you it. You see her hands kind of go through William's body, which is... You oh yeah, like her... one of these, like that opening hand, finger, finger, finger. Well, <laughs> it's like her arm travels down the inside of his yes. arm and matches up, and her head you comes up his it. back and lines yeah. up. Yeah. It's great. It is great. It's a great, great portrayal of a concept. Yeah. Um, then we're going to cut back to Tick, and he's working on his code language. He makes some headway, and something happens with him, and he calls the operator. And he gives that super long phone number again, which we know is the Korean, Korean phone yeah. number. He's calling Gia. And he calls Gia. And she knew something. Mm -hmm. How'd you know? You should have listened to me. Yeah. What are you? And then we see what he and, translated. And she hangs up on him. After he says, what are you? She hangs up on him. And then it just goes down to the page and he wrote just the word die. Yeah. What did that make you think? Um, so when we first meet Tick and we get his dream and we get the flashback to like this phone call, blah, 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 um, it's the conversation is, I told you not to go, you shouldn't go. And it's like very clear that like she has communicated to him something very, very bad and, and undoable will be done when he leaves Florida. And so... I mean, we think we think back to that first episode in his dream where he sees this woman who is like blue and very clearly like extraterrestrial or otherworldly and like, I mean, we align that with this, I do at least, align that with this phone call, this character, like, what are you? Mm -hmm. I don't 
like even know. Like if they introduce aliens into like the plotline at this point, like a lot of Lovecraft's stuff eventually he de like magic is alien. He demagic yeah. them into being extraterrestrial. Like, like I could see that transition, and so I'm I'm curious about that. Like like if it turns out that like these sons of Adam like think that they're the only people with magic or something, that it's a white privilege thing, and then it turns out like. There's an entire race of otherworldly beings that aren't even human that have better magic than you do. Mm -hmm. Like, I really don't know where this is gonna go at this point. Yeah, no. Like that that scene, that ending, like now, changed that, it a little bit. The ending. <clears throat> did that make you think that he was wrong? That was his ring inscription, right? Mm, I thought those were his initials. Well, I think, but why was it just these three letters? Because I thought that that meant that if it wasn't. Like the same as English. I feel like there was one thing in particular he was working on translating. I don't know. I I, I remember that he was like I working kinda... on some stuff and he had like a, a, a bigger word that mm -hmm. he knew was right. Protection. But it, but it seemed like he maybe misinterpreted it. Because why the three letters? Where's where that three it letters It wasn't from? the inscription from his ring. No? I don't think so. Where was the three letters from? I think it was from one of the pages, but it was like a maybe like the end page or something. Oh, yeah, like like I don't think word. we really got a lot. Like, yeah, I, that's like maybe yeah. Let's rewatch that like segment yeah, really on. quick or something. It, it wasn't really clear because he went from being with Letty holding those pages to making a phone call. Is that how the scene would unfold if we didn't have that like Ruby bit thrown in? Translate something. I don't know that yeah, it's, I, just, I don't know, I just it's don't know why it's three letters. Like it I don't mean. think we are supposed to know. We just know that no. something bad is happening, that he's connected it to someone else, and it's like we have like Maybe it's the, the last end puzzle piece, but not the whole picture. It's like the last word of a uh, something. Yeah. It's like he's discovered there's a hex on someone. Yeah. Or a group of people or something. Or and like, there's been a spell in effect or something. Yeah. Yep, he mistranslates his initials. Ah, see? Told you. Yeah. Okay. So that ring, when he was wearing it for protection, it said die, not his I initials. Guess, yeah. Yeah, he just assumed so his initials. So was it the ring cast out a death spell to everyone around him and protected him? Could've. Ooh, cool. Hmm. Mm. So. The plot thickens. His ring says die. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, I love this episode. It's going well. Yeah, great, great show. Continuing. Great series, great episode. Uh, next episode is called Meet Me in Daigu. Yeah. No synopsis. No. What do no. you know about Daigu? I don't. Oh, I thought you would have Googled it. Oh, I'm assuming it's a city or a region. Mm. It's a city in South Korea. Okay. So I guess next episode we're heading to Korea. Oh yeah, we're getting a flashback to Tick's time in the war. Oh wait, did you watch Next Week On? Yes, I did. Because I did not. I did. What are your predictions then? We're getting a flashback to Tick's time in the war. Oh, I thought I heard that already. What are your and predictions? Oh, hold on. There is a shot of a tentacle emerging from an ear. Oh. I'm not going to say any more context about that, but... We're getting tentacle monsters next week, maybe. And ears of corn. I also didn't watch on next week because as soon as I finished watching the episode, I literally ran out here to record this. So, yeah, hey, it's dedication. Um, we appreciate so that. based solely on the context of the show and the little snippets from Dylan, I'm going to say that we continue to unpack some of Montrose's past and traumas. I think that we get a little bit more information about his relationship with George and his late wife. 
I think that there's a potential George Returns, if not in the next episode at some point in the future, now that we do know that dead men will talk. They always do. They do. Um, I think that we start to see some more, I'm going to call them Nazi-esque Hitler-related experiments. Um, I think we're going to start to start see a little bit more of that like magic becoming understandable science. Uh, I think we're going to see Letty and Ruby really dish it out hmm. at some point. Cool. I'm really just curious about the captain's body parts. That's where I was thinking about the Nazi-esque yeah. style like, experiments. It's just so weird because if, if they have magic, it seems why do rudimentary surgery? Because that's what only work enables. from. I mean, when's the last time okay. you saw a whole torso uh, body transplant successfully pulled off at any point? When have you seen? Okay, we just got to facial transplants in this century. Like, ah, uh, like that's magic. You're right. <laughs> um, either way, I'm excited. Yeah, it's gonna be a good time. Yeah. Um, since we don't have a synopsis for next episode to read, I'm just going to play the audio of the commercial for next week at the end of this. Um, you want to talk us out? Sure. We appreciate everybody listening out there. Uh, we are Some Nobodies. This has been Some Nobodies Review Lovecraft Country. My name is Dylan. You can find me anywhere online at Vorpal Words. And my name is Zach, but you can find me everywhere online at Noah Body. My name is Suzanne, and you just can't find me. That's fine. Don't even try. You can find other stuff we've done, including hearing Suzanne's voice on things like Silicon Angels. Oh, yeah. Our sci-fi comedy serial, which season one is complete. Uh, Zach and I do a podcast review called The Podcast Podcast, The Podcast Show. It is exactly what it sounds like. And Zach and I do Talking Upstream, a live 90-minute writer's room live stream every Sunday afternoon. Everything is available at somenobodies.com. If you want to go and support us, go to patreon.com slash somenobodies. Help us make more stuff like this. Yeah, speaking and of better stuff. Speaking of Patreon, just a couple quick thanks. We have Mr. Scott Curtis. We have Sarah Tkachik. Tkachik. Sarah, my friend from New Jersey. Yeah, our great friend Sarah. Miss Tonya Sheck. And also Podroom. If you're listening to any podcast and you want to chat with us or anybody else about podcasts, just do a like, go over to Podroom, download that app, and whatever. They are. What is Podroom? Podroom is a new social media service where you can download the app and you can actually talk to people who listen to podcasts. You can talk to podcast creators that way. You can chat within people that are just fans of shows. You can inquire about certain things. You can find all of some nobody's stuff on there. And they're our sponsors. So they're a great, they're a great new app. They're great. They're great. Podroom. <laughs> Get it. Either way, we're some nobodies. Bye. Bye. Sorry. Bye. Sorry. <laughs> Do me a favor. Can you read this to me? He who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience a supreme happiness. We must have felt what it is to die that we may appreciate living. On your knees! After years of oppression, unfair oppression, sweet revenge.